Have you ever seen some idiot out there at the crag and wondered just what in the heck is that moron thinking? Well, you're in the right place, my friend, because that moron is here on the microphone to tell you exactly what he was thinking. So throw your rope in the closet where it belongs and grab a chalk bag for your sweaty, sweaty palms. Because the process is about to begin. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This episode is called The Process, because I've been sitting here recording and doing my thing, and I realized something. I've been covering the process in uh, specificity, you know, talking about individual missions and stuff like that, and what goes on while I'm out at the crag play-by-play, but I haven't really covered the process generally. Um, like, what's going on behind the scenes in the Wayback Machine while I'm out there at the crag? Like, what are the benchmarks to which I hold myself to decide if I'm being, um, insane or reasonable? And, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. I've been reading and listening to, uh, the blogs and videos of one Michael Reardon. That dude is the dude. As far as the question of, you know, people like to ask, who's the best soloist of all time? And to me, there's three people that jump out. Of course, everybody knows Alex Honnold. It would be absolutely difficult to uh, to dismiss him in any sort of way. I mean, the guy's done stuff that it's pretty mind-blowing. But um, in a way, I was just kind of wondering when somebody like him would come along. Historically speaking, when you look at soloists, there's two kinds. There's the John Backer, Michael Reardon, Austin Howell crowd that they uh, primarily solo. They don't really care too much about red pointing and all that stuff. They uh, want to be free. And for those like us, oh, Derek Hersey fits in that group too, by the way. For those like us, their maximum on-site is typically on par with their maximum solo. Like, I've on-sited 12C, and I've soloed 12C. Uh, Mike Reardon had on-sited 13A, I think, and he was actually soloing in the 513s. Um, but then the other group... Guys that climb hard and happen to solo, typically, their maximum solo tends to be about four letter grades behind their maximum red point. Take for example, uh, take for example, Alexander Huber. He free soloed 14A, and he goes down in the history books as being the first person to climb 15A. One of his routes was upgraded by Adam Andra. Um, so Sharma may have consolidated 15A and proven to everybody that it was a thing, and in a large way, he's uh, responsible for establishing the grade of 515, but Huber actually got the record for the first 15A way back when. And his maximum solo was 14A. Then you've got Alex Honnold. He fits in this group. Um, he's very proud of saying in interviews that, you know, the majority of his climbing is with a rope, but sometimes he has a special solo moment. 
And his hardest solo was uh, Cosmic Debris. I think I got the name right. But it was 13B. Bravo. At the time, his maximum red point was 14B. Four letter grades ahead. And he was on sighting 513s. That was all kind of of a par. I think he'd on sighted up to 13 plus in uh, crack climbing, which is his specialty. Um, yeah, so that's all kind of of a piece. But when you look at the uh, the history of soloing, you've got the uh, you know the stone masters that were. Climbing 512 and soloing 510 on the average, and then you had John Backer pushing out ahead of that, soloing up to, you know, he was soloing 511 when 511 was the hardest thing out there. That was astounding, you know? Putting the bleeding edge of soloing right on the cutting edge of climbing. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, and then he eventually put to, pushed it up to 512, and he's actually responsible for soloing the first 13A, Father Time, down at Joshua Tree. Well, when you look at that, we've got guys that climb 515 all over the place. Seems like every morning when he wakes up, Daniel Woods has a bowel movement that clocks in at V15. <laughs> you know, it's just happening all over the place. V15, 515, V15, 515, V15, 515. Seems like it's every other day. So if we pull a few letter grades behind that, four letter grades, well, that's 514. You know, we've got guys out there on sighting 514 now. Guys and gals, both of them. So I'm like, where... Where are these people that would match the corresponding level of soloing in at least the 13s, you know? So it just, uh, it's almost like soloing hasn't progressed for ages, in a way. It's gotten bigger. Alex Honnold has pushed it way big. But it hasn't gotten harder. Elaine Robert, back in the 90s, soloed six roots of the 513 grade, including two 13Ds. He's well known for climbing all the buildings and uh, having altercations with police and what have you. And, but really, he was one of the best free soloists of all time. You would have a hard, hard argument ahead of you if you were to dismiss him. I think that would be borderline impossible. <clears throat> uh, and then the third one, so we got Alex Honnold, Michael Reardon. <laughs> Sorry, we got Alex Honnold. We've got Elaine Robert. And the third one, well, that's Michael Reardon. Who's Michael Reardon, you're saying? Michael Reardon soloed a thousand roots in Joshua Tree in 30 days. He soloed 290 roots, well, 290 pitches, in a single day at Joshua Tree. He was known for cranking out mile days and two-mile days, basically at will, including roots up to 13A during those days. 
And he was doing his thing right about the early 2000s before Facetron and all that. Google him up. He, um, he on-site soloed Romantic Warrior, an 8-pitch 512B. At the time, and even still today, there are people who refuse to believe he did the things he did because they were so above and beyond what was even thought possible. John Backer was heavily involved in, in Scarpa. I think he actually founded the company. Somebody fact-checked me on that. Uh, this is an unscripted episode, so I might be a little bit inaccurate at times. But he made sure that Reardon was constantly sponsored and had good shoes. John Backer wasn't going to tolerate a liar. That's all I need to know. One of the most impressive things that Mike did to me, in my opinion... He did the on-site free solo first ascent of a route called Shikata Ganai. I think is Japanese and roughly translates to the way of the warrior. On-site free solo first ascent 512 plus. On-site soloing 12 plus is almost unheard of let alone the first ascent of the grade performed on-site soloed. Because when you're doing the first ascent, you don't know what the grade is going to be. You don't know what you're getting into above. The crux of this route was a V6 boulder problem 100 feet off the deck. And it was 8 pitches long, so it wasn't over then. Wild to think about. So that was back in the thousands. Elaine Robert was back in the 90s. And then we have Alex Honnold now. I'm like, man, I'm glad somebody finally stepped up to the plate, you know? It's um, the things he's been doing. In a way, they've kind of been coming. It's the natural progression of soloing. All right, and with us caught up on our history, I reckon it's about time for a quick rock and roll break to, um, you know, interrupt my monologue so I don't get too monotonous and you guys start ignoring me. Right. Rock and roll. Here we go.
what goes into soloing with some vestige of sanity. You know, some people think of soloing as a death wish, but there is this thing called free soloing, and um, I really like it. So if I died, I wouldn't get to do that anymore. So that just doesn't make any fucking sense. So how do I ensure that not only can I solo, but I can solo for a long time? Lane Robert has been soloing for 44 years. John Backer soloed an estimated one and a half million feet of rock in his lifetime. Astounding numbers. So, you know, John Backer met his untimely end soloing, and there's a lot of speculations as to why. He was in a car accident a year prior, which had uh, injured his bicep, and there were, I believe, weather stations that clocked gusts of 60 miles an hour the day that he fell. So, who knows, but in, you know... 1.5 million feet before it caught up with him. That's a long ways. Lane Robert, 44 years, and he's still soloing buildings. Makes you think, what goes into something like this? Well, I can't speak for those guys, but I can speak for myself, and listening to Reardon's videos and his blogs where he talks about these things, it uh, kind of got me thinking lately. It got me thinking that I need to cover the process in uh, generality rather than just specificity. So, in the beginning, at Enchanted Rock, my first solo, um, we had been trad climbing. You know, you want to work your way up the grades, 5'6", five, 5'8", five, 5'10". Five, then we ran out of good cracks to climb. So we went into the 5'11s, and they were just these bald, run-out friction slabs. You might have four bolts in 150 feet. Scary shit. And when you're up there, 20 feet run out from your last bolt looking at a 50-foot fall, and your foot slips... Pretty quick, you realize that while there might be plenty of times in life where it's perfectly reasonable to freak out, there's none where it's productive. So you're going to have to uh, learn to bottle that shit down and get on with it. So I learned that. And then the 512s were these sketchy roots with blind micro-nut placements and such like that that would basically fucking kill you. <laughs> uh, I don't like getting killed, so we scaled it back and went to just have fun mileage on those 510s. And for those of you who've trad climbed, you know how it is. Somebody hands you this bouquet of anodized aluminum and says, Here, put these in when you get scared. Well, after those scary 511s sticking my hand in a crack, oh man, you're plugged into the mothership. You know, every hand jam is just like an anchor in the wall. I ain't going nowhere. It's more solid than a jug once you get it down. So, once you climb something, you know, a lot of times, and after those slabs, it just wasn't as scary anymore. 
And when things aren't scary, you know, every trad climber has said it. Uh, this is just 5-5 five, five up here. It'll be alright, I'm not gonna fall. And they go a little bit further without placing gear than they usually would. Well, there you did it right there. We have a name for the genre of climbing where it's gonna be alright as long as you don't fall. Free soloing. <laughs> That's the whole mindfuck right there, is you have to get to this point where you say, meh, I'm not gonna fall, therefore it's okay. So you made the switch right there, at least in a little way. Anybody who ever said, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna fall, therefore it's okay, you just tiptoed into the waters a very little bit. But it wasn't necessarily deliberate. It just kind of happened. And that's what kind of happened for me. My gear started spacing out further and further because I wasn't scared as often. So came to be that I was on one of my favorite routes, and about 40 feet up, my belayer hollers at me. Hey, man, am I here for any reason? Uh, I looked down and realized I was 40 feet off the deck and I hadn't placed a single piece of gear. Oopsie, my bad. I'm sitting there with one hand jammed in the wall, fiddling a piece of gear in. Oh, it's way too small. Next one. Oh, it's way too big to fit. Next one. Mm, not quite right. Finally, on my fourth try. <laughs> That's the right size. Now we put a quick draw on it, and finally I put the rope in it. Ugh, gross. My left hand is actually kind of pumped now. What the fuck? So I started climbing, and then I was like, ah, well, you know, I'm basically to the top, and this part's easy up here. I'm not going to fall. There it went. That same little notion. And I jammed up to the top, built the anchor, and lowered off. And, uh, you know, they always say, don't be an idiot for the camera. But, if you absolutely insist on being an idiot, well, there's no harm in packing the camera, right? If you're already being a moron, well, it's not like the camera's influencing you to be a moron. You just kind of independently made that decision on your own. So, <laughs> I hand the video camera to my belayer and said, hey man, I'm about to do something so completely stupid that obviously, I'm never going to do it again. Spoiler alert, I was not correct. <laughs> uh, you never quite know what the future holds until you find it. So, I went and soloed Texas Crude 510B right there afterward, and I expected it to be moderately casual. But it turned out to be extremely casual. It was the most relaxed thing I'd done in a while. After climbing all those slabs that were scary and horrific, it felt so peaceful to just not have to worry about falling. Because that's the thing when you solo. It's not like regular climbing. You know, you've got the rope on because you think you're going to fall. Or at least that it's a possibility. So... It's always in the back of your head. What if I fall? Where do I need to put my plate next piece of gear? When you get on a route and you're committed, it's almost a relief because there's nothing I have to worry about except for going up. That's it. This handhold, this foothold, reaching up, 
the twist of my body, the tension through my core. I don't have to worry about all that other crap. It's just so much more simplified. So, we finished up our day, and the next weekend I came back and I soloed 32 of my favorite climbs over the space of two days. <laughs> all right, uh, this is officially a thing now. That was the most chill day of climbing I'd had ever in my life. Up to that point, at least. So, I took it and ran with it. And how did I know that climb was good to solo? How did I know those other ones were good to solo? At the time, uh, my benchmark was, if I can trad climb this thing while feeling relaxed and having a conversation with my belayer, well, when I get rid of all this gear hanging off my ass, and when I get rid of the effort of stopping to place it, well, that's just extra ease. I mean, it requires all the physicality of top rope. You know, climbing, uh, soloing, it's just a party trick. It's not actually hard. You know, it requires all the physicality of top rope. When everything goes right, I'm the laziest climber on earth. So, essentially what would happen on some of these routes is I didn't feel like I was going to fall at all. The only thing that made me feel taxed or tired was the effort of putting my damn safety system in the wall. And if your safety system is the only thing that makes you feel like you're going to fall, well, I reckon there's nothing safer than not falling, right? So that safety system really ain't doing its job too good at this point. To hell with it. I'm just going to go climb. Hakuna Matata, right? It means no worries. No worries about falling. No worries about plugging this stuff in the wall. Just strolling around the outdoors, enjoying the view. Moving on later in life, I started soloing a little bit harder, started doing on-site solos, and one of the primary tenets of safety in rock climbing, you know, when you're thinking anchor points and such like, is redundancy. You want to have multiple points of safety so that if one of them fails, you're going to be okay. Well, with on-site soloing, you know, sometimes you'll have adjacent routes. Uh, if you're face climbing, there might be a way to traverse to the right or to the left to something easier and escape. Even if there's not, you have the options of up and down. So up, down, left, right. As long as you have at least two of those options available at any given point in time, well... You're doing pretty good. That's redundancy. And if you feel that you're about to be cut back to only one option, that's it. You've got to pull the plug and bail immediately. That's how it works. And these days, when I'm soloing a little bit harder, you know, that's, that's the thing. People think you have to be able to downclimb everything. You don't have to be able to downclimb everything. You have to be able to put this route on absolute unholy lockdown, where there is no chance of failure, where you can fuck it up and still not fail, and still be able to casual your way up to the top. 
you know, there's, there's five eights that my fiance could do in high heels that I wouldn't be caught dead soloing. Maybe they got loose rock or moss or some crap like that. It just ain't worth it. Difficulty in everything, there's also insecurity to worry about. You know? A lot of the hardest stuff I've soloed is extremely steep. Well, the steeper it gets, if we're holding the grade constant, something has to get easier. So the holds are just fucking huge. So if I screw up, I just grab a little harder and keep going. No big deal. Shake it off at the next rest. Hakuna Matata. No worries, brother. And so again, it's a relief. You only have to think about going up. The send is a foregone conclusion. You know, the send isn't happening right now. It happened four months ago, training in the gym. It's when I got the physicality required to put this thing on lockdown. And I just had to practice a little bit and actually commit to it. And when you first start, it's kind of in the back of your head. I could back off and bail right now. And at a certain point, you're committed. Only way out is up. And there's only one thing to worry about it. And you relax. And people talk about, oh, well, you're just an adrenaline junkie. Fuck that. You know, when you look at these adrenaline junkies out there, they need more. They need more. They need more. They're out to get their fix. And eventually it becomes mundane. How'd it feel the first time you drove your car on the freeway? Probably felt fucking terrifying. Some of you it didn't, but for a lot of us it did. And then now, it's just Tuesday. There's no big deal. That can happen with anything. So if you're looking for that adrenalized psych, you'll get used to it, and then you'll need more. And then you'll need more. And then you'll need more. Eventually it catches up with you. When you're adrenalized, you're not thinking straight. You're not focusing on the things that you need to. Animal fear is controlling your mind. And then you get dangerous. I don't like the dangerous thing. I'm going to solo thousands of pitches in my life. So if there's a one in a thousand chance that I'm going to fuck this up and fall off, that's unacceptable. Eventually that'll catch up with me. When I look at extreme sports... Like, say, ice climbing, or base jumping. You know, in society, we've taken these words like extreme, and people are using them to describe golf putts. <laughs> you know, a golf putt's not extreme. But this, this is extreme. Ice climbing's extreme. Base jumping is extreme. You're doing a dance with death every time you try one of these things. And you have to be cognizant of that. With ice climbing, ice climbing gets harder. As the conditions get worse and worse, the ice gets thinner. So in a lot of ways, progressing ice climbing requires pushing your safety margin and eroding it bit by bit. 
you go and do it and see if you got away with it and how close you came. With base jumping, you know, some people will go a long time base jumping and not run into any problems. Take Steph Davis. Yeah, she's got her squirrel suit and her wingsuit, but she's not doing proximity flying. She's just enjoying flying through the air and taking a quick ride back to the car whenever she's finished soloing a desert tower. A lot easier to jump off than to uh, carry a bunch of gear and rappel or some garbage like that. What, the proximity flyers? You know, when you're base jumping, your safety margin is how far you are away from the nearest object. And pushing proximity flying means getting closer and closer to that object. So pushing proximity flying is deliberately eroding your safety margin. Getting closer and closer and closer, only razor-thin distance from the point where you crash into the wall. It's no wonder that it has the highest fatality rate of any sport out there in the outdoors. Free soloing? It's all about having additional strength and stamina far beyond what the route requires. So pushing free soloing is just like pushing rock climbing. First, you get stronger. You train. And when you're stronger and better trained, you go out and see what you can do. Because you're stronger, you have more margin. So you can go a little bit higher in the grades, a little bit more difficult. It's very calculated like that. You know, I've soloed more pitches in the past six years than I've climbed with a rope. But it's not the only thing that I do. I train. I'm doing bouldering intervals in the gym. I have a program from Lattice. And I take my training deadly serious. Because it is deadly serious. I have to be impeccable with my training. Otherwise, I'll be ill-prepared when I get out on the rock. And every time I'm training, I remind myself to give that extra little bit and dig in deep for every single rep on every single set. Because I know that I'm going to need that fitness later. So if you're out to find that adrenalized psych... You're going to be getting closer and closer to your margin because you feel adrenaline when you feel like your life is threatened. And if you feel like your life is threatened, it probably is if you're looking for adrenaline. So if you're out there looking for adrenaline, you're an idiot and you're going to die. That's not why you solo. That's not why you should do anything, in my opinion. So, people talk about cruxes, and they're like, oh man, that solo was so sketchy because the crux was four million feet in the air. Get out of here, man. Ten feet off the ground, you're not soloing for anything but yourself. If you are, you're an idiot and you're going to die. Doesn't matter if it's two hundred, uh, two feet off the ground or 200 feet off the ground. You have to have that move completely wired. There should be no difference. Yeah. 
Uh, what else did I have on this? Hmm. Oh, yeah. People talk about crash pads and helmets or packing a rope and a harness and a piece of gear. I don't use a crash pad. I don't use a rope. I don't want any escape from what I'm doing. If you think you have some sort of safety net, psychologically it allows you to be ill-prepared. You don't want to be ill-prepared in any way. You don't want any distraction or any excuse to think you're doing anything less than you are. I want to own the climb. I don't want to just get by. I want to have fun out there. You know? You have to have total mastery of those moves so that you can clear your mind and be only focused on the next handhold, the next foothold. You're not thinking about how scared you are. You have to feel balanced. It should feel 5'8", and when you get to the top, you should feel... You know, you shouldn't be whooping and hollering with adrenaline. You shouldn't be depressed like, oh my god, I got away with that. I almost lost it. This whole thing is a path towards peace. You know, everybody makes mistakes and get a little adrenalized and such like that from time to time, but hopefully you're not living in the red zone. If you live in the red zone, smallest mistake puts you off. You're dead. If you live in the yellow zone, the smallest mistake puts you in the red zone. Then you don't have any margin left. But if you live in the green zone, you fuck up and you get in the yellow zone, you have margin left to pedal that back. If you get in that red zone and you get in that adrenalized psych, you have to sit down and have a long talk with yourself afterwards and contemplate life and what you did wrong. I try to follow my instincts. You know, when they say, fuck this, well, fuck that. I can just go pick the next climb. You know, climbing is just a mental game. And oh, you have your physical game and your psychological game. And when you can do those two things in conjunction with another, you're reaching your physical peak and your mental peak, not necessarily your physical limit, but you're peaking both of these things simultaneously. That's uh, it's pretty fucking rad. Um, you know, sometimes that moment lasts for 30 seconds. Sometimes goes for a couple days, and I'm lucky enough that I've been able to extend that for full day runs. I can just flip that switch and go. Doesn't always have to be hard climbing. 5-6 is fucking cool. But it's pretty cool to be able to do that all day long and maintain your focus. You know, and, uh... The greatest gift that we have in life is simply the ability to live fully. You know, there, there's no predetermination. There's, It's free choice to do whatever you want, however you want, within yourself. And for me, soloing provides that ability. And that's something I'll take with me for my entire life. It's not just something that helps me on the wall also off of it.
Alright folks, you heard the music, you know what that means? Time for another musical interlude. Are you tired of listening to me? I'm tired of listening to me. This guy can talk, I can really suck the air out of the room. Uh, anyway, rock and roll is in my soul, but right now I'm feeling more of a, uh, like, bouncy, contemplative blues thing. Ready, set, rock. Okay, so how has climbing helped me in my own life? You know, a lot of people are just drifting out there, feeling aimless. They don't have a thing that focuses them. Life's a blunt stick. It doesn't have a point until you sharpen it. You know, I was sitting in the office with my uh, counselor the other day, and we wrapped up the session when he asks me, you know, what's your home life like? Home life like? And I was kind of confused, like, you know, what do you mean? And he says, well, do you have any plans or something you look forward to? And I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I do. I mean, I've got all these kind of things I could do. i got this, and I've got that, and I've got the other thing. And um, that's because I have rock climbing. You know, in one season, I'm focused on training. And while I'm training, I get all these ideas for where I could go and these places I can visit and these things I can do. And having that to look forward is incredibly beneficial because you suddenly have a point. Everything you do is focused. You're not drifting through life wondering, what am I going to do? You know what you're going to do. Even if your career might be having issues or your personal life might be having issues, you have your thing, whatever it is. And it allows you to have something that you can fall back on. So climbing is that thing. It's this never-ending cycle. I train, and then I get stoked, and I go do things, which having successes makes me want to go back and train, and so then uh, I seem to have mistaken training for fun. Uh, and then it just keeps going around in a cycle like that. So I'm always focused. I always have my next big thing, and I'm never quite in the doldrums. But how do you find your thing? You know? That's kind of the crux of it all. How do you find your thing? A lot of people don't have a thing. Some of your friends have their thing. Something that they love. Ask them to show you how. You know, a lot of people, when they find their thing, they're kind of evangelistic about it. Go grab a guitar, grab a ukulele. That thing you've always been wanting to do Find the cheapest way to edge your way into it. Maybe there's a festival. Maybe there's a conference like ice climbing. Um, I'm terrified of ice climbing. But they have ice festivals where people set the gear up for me, and they made those hard decisions based on their experience, and there's gear to rent. I don't have to do the full investment. That's pretty rad. Fuck, send me an email. Ask me how to get into rock climbing. 
Ask me how to get into trad. That's the cool thing about rock climbing. You've got so many different disciplines. You've got, uh, you know, climbing close to the ground where you've got these crash mats that you can beef into and it, it's more physical and about the problem solving than it is about, uh, uh, you know, logistics and what have you. Then you've got climbing on the rope where if you, it's like a video game. If you fall off, you get a do over. And then you've got uh, climbing where you're pulling on your gear to make forward progress. And then you've got climbing with nothing at all, which uh, I don't exactly recommend getting into. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like one day I just woke up and I was like, hey, free soloing. That's the most obvious fucking thing in the universe. And if you don't have that realization, you should probably stay away from it. You know, if you want to go to free soloing, well, that wanting can become dangerous. It can become something that leads you to a path where you don't want to be. But anyway, that's that's beside the point. You know, you can go grab a guitar. You can go grab a ukulele. Have you ever seen someone looking sad while they're playing a ukulele? <laughs> I sure fucking haven't. You know, it's... Um, Okay, okay, I'm gonna move this microphone and I've got a bunch of guitars around with me. Um, when I was visiting the family for Christmas, my little brother's friend Bo was at the house and he, um, he's like, man, it's cool that you can play those guitars. I wish I could get into that. And I had my little ukulele with me and I said, alright dude, watch this. Within 15 minutes, we're gonna have you playing a song that you can recognize. Smoke on the Water. The most recognizable riff in the history of rock and roll. Here we go. We're going to learn Smoke on the Water, and we're going to see how far we can run with it. So we got this little ukulele here with me in the studio today, and watch this. That's it. That's all it is. One string. I used one finger. And you know what? It's got these nylon strings. They're real easy to push down, and they don't tear up your fingers. So it's super easy to learn on. Now watch this. We're going to do it on two strings. Sounds a little bit cooler. Not too bad, eh? So what's the next step from that? Well, I reached over and grabbed my acoustic guitar for him. All right, let's do this thing on the acoustic guitar. Roll over and grab it. <clears throat> so, with the acoustic guitar, here we go. cooler now. So let's do it across two strings. Alright, so let's take it the next step. Twelve string guitar. Ah, banging things around. I can... 
God, if only I was coordinated. Okay, so we got this 12-string guitar here. So we'll play it across one of the pairs. Now two pairs. Not too bad. Well, hey, what about the electronical guitar? Put the acoustic up. Okay, the amplifizzle is on. Yeah, all right, we're making noises. Making some noises. Oh, let's turn those noises up. Yeah, there we go, now we're making some noise. Got some of that reverb. Oh, yeah. Now we're sounding like rock and roll, so here we go. So now let's play it across. This is a, actually an electric 12-string. Ooh, now we're getting wild. That's like what? Electric 12-string. That's some uh, some uh, Led Zeppelin stuff there. So let's uh, two pairs. Let's see how loud this is. All right, that's that's tame. Right. So now let's amp it up a notch. All. 12 strings. Now, I'm no rock and roll genius, but I can do a little bit of picking and grinning. And it just started off by picking up a little $100 guitar. Check this thing down so I don't ruin it. You know, picking up like a $100 guitar and, and just finding some little book and Googling things on the interwebs and, and then, uh, just figuring it out. And you know what? You don't have to be great to make something that sounds good. It's, it's not too terribly hard. I mean, you saw that progression. Well, saw. Yeah, we're seeing things on a podcast. Uh, only if you're doing PCP. Right. So we heard that little progression there, and I mean, it's like, you don't have to play all 12 strings to get smoke on the water. You can just take this little ukulele dude. Now you're doing something that people recognize. And hey, let's, uh, let's check this out. Now I'm gonna play Hotel California on the ukulele.
you know, it's a, it might take a long time to get awesome and virtuosic, but everything, you know, you, you see the videos on YouTube of somebody doing inhuman, superhuman things, whether it's Alex Honnold soloing El Cap, whether it's somebody playing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony on a single guitar, whether it's somebody mountain biking and doing a triple backflip off the edge of the Grand Canyon, sticking it on a semi-truck and riding that thing off into the sunset, whether it's, uh, you know, some bodacious dude rocking his motorcycle, jumping trailer trucks, crashing through fire, and uh, riding off into the sunset. I don't know, I have no idea where I was going with that. You know, every video that you see of somebody doing something just fucking hella rad, they started somewhere. They started with their sports equivalent of this. And maybe at first it sounded like this. sitting there playing you're thinking this sucks but listen to that you heard it it sounded like the real thing and if you can get your thing to sound at all like the uh <clears throat> quote real thing and even if you can't practice makes perfect i've been climbing for 12 years i've been free soloing for 10 elaine robert has been free soloing for 44 years alex honnold has been climbing for what 20 years they say it takes 10,000 hours to become awesome at your sport. Let me pull out my phone for calculator reasons here. Um, face ID. Do I look like me with the hat off? Apparently I do. Okay, so 10,000. We'll say you do it for one hour a day. Divided by 365 days a year. Holy shit, that's 27 years. Still. All it takes is time. You know? All it takes is time. Say you're playing for two hours a day. You know? 10,000... Divided by 2 divided by 365 equals, well, now you're, now you're a virtuoso in 13 years, you know? I go to the gym two hours every day. And here I am, 12 years in. And that's not even including 12-hour marathon days. When I get a six-hour session at the gym instead of two. It just takes time. Just go and grab your thing and start doing it. 
and just make some noise. You don't have to be good. Just go out there and make some noise. That's all it takes. And when you find your thing, I mean, just just look at me. Listen to my voice. Can you hear how stoked I am about rock climbing? You know, you don't have to solo to get a piece of that. I can grab a ukulele. I don't know anybody who's failed to have a grin on their face when they're playing the ukulele. Doesn't matter what your thing is. Just go out there and find a thing. And do it for... It doesn't matter how short you do it. If you do it for five minutes every day, it's five minutes of happiness. You know, people talk about meditation and mindfulness, etc. Yeah, you can you can cultivate that by sitting on a cushion and chanting home while burning incense or marijuana reefer, you know, having your psychedelic experience that sends you out into the ether nut and then next thing you know your chakras are lighting up and what have you, but yeah, whatever. You know, it's just single pointed focus on something. That's what brings us peace. And if you sit there and play your ukulele for five minutes a day, that's kind of your uh, it's your meditation and your peace-finding session. I don't know how that could ever be a bad thing. Five minutes of happiness is better than no minutes of happiness. So just... Here's your New Year's resolution. Go do a thing. Five minutes of a thing. It's like Pringles. Once you pop, you just can't stop. So go try to do five minutes of a thing. Whatever that thing is. Ask your friend. What's their thing? Hey, how did you get into your thing? Would you mind showing me? If people love their thing. They love showing their thing. Low barrier of entry there, you know? Asking someone to do something that they love. Oh my god, what an imposition. So, I don't know, that's it. Go out there, do your thing. If you don't have a thing, find your thing. And when you find your thing, do your thing just unashamedly. Doesn't matter how bad you are, doesn't matter how good you are. You know, some people out there in rock climbing and what have you, nobody cares how hard you climb. And if they do, they probably shouldn't. Uh, I think that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Thanks for listening, y'all. All right. At this point, you folks know what the music means, so we'll skip straight to the outro. Cheers.
cool. That one was completely unscripted. Not sure if I'm going to have a blog ready for it by the time this comes out. Um, I was planning on not having a blog for it, but I think that kind of turned into a cool discussion. It needs to be codified, written down. Kind of the reverse of my usual process for writing the process about the process. <laughs> uh, cool thing. There's a spare room at my work. Hadn't been used in two years. So I'm putting it to use. And I moved my computer in here, my recording setup, and all that stuff. And so now I've got myself a little studio. Sure beats my studio apartment. Dinky little thing. I got... Basically, I have a bedroom and the other room. That's that's my whole setup there. I've been recording this thing off my damn coffee table the whole time. Huge upgrade. Huge upgrade. So I'm able to bring guitars in here and jam out and do little acoustical things that I wasn't able to do before because, man, that apartment is so tiny that my dinky little Bose Bluetooth speaker will blow up the neighbors if I turn it up too loud. Uh, things louder than my bird. Not by much, but still. So my little, my amplifier, it's not huge. I mean, who are we fooling here? I'm not playing on stage. Excuse me. I'm not playing on stage or any crap like that. I just need something that makes enough noise where I can hear it and be happy about it. So I got a little 10-watt amplifier. You want to talk about blowing up the neighbors? Ah, oh, man, I can't turn those knobs past one quarter. So you can't even really get the full sonic representation of it. The whole thing can't do its all that it's capable of. So... Here I am, on a Saturday, in the office. I don't think anybody will complain about me coming in on a Saturday voluntarily. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's nobody here. There's nobody in the building next to me. I can take that little dude and crank it to 11. So in a moment here, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my thing. And I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to suck. Some of it's going to be noise. But some of it's going to be kind of fun. Whatever. I like picking and noodling. So, uh, into the show here. Remember, you can find me on Facebook.com slash FreeSoloist. Instagram.com at FreeSoloist. Vimeo.com slash FreeSoloist. Um, Bones is making good progress on that documentary, or so he says. I trust him. I think he's alright. Kind of a weirdo, but aren't we all weirdos? It's better being weird. Much better being weird. All that normality and homogeneity. Who needs that? Who needs that? Let Take your weird flag and let it fly high. People think it's cool when you're weird. Keep Austin weird, right? Uh, what else? Oh yeah, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, share the show on Facebook. Um, share the show on Facebook, like me on Facebook, like me on Reddit, follow me on... Wait. Don't like me on Reddit, downvote me on Reddit. That's the way things work over there. Much more fun to downvote me. Yeah. So then also, uh, um, 
Follow me on the Instagerm, and you'll get updates for when these things go. Subscribe on the podcast application. Um, yeah, everybody, every other podcaster asks you to go give them a review. So, yeah, what the hell? I'll try that. Go give me a review. Tell them all about how much I suck and how I'm corrupting the youth of America, convincing them to go play ukuleles. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's it for today. So, it's winter time. More climbers die driving their car than they do rock climbing. Life's an inherently dangerous sport. So don't forget to be safe out there. But if for some reason you find yourself incapable of being safe due to the worst possible kind of madness... And the best possible kind of insanity. Be careful. And just in case you think this has anything to do with big climbing, I'd like to remind you that this couldn't possibly be any further away from big climbing. You could be out at the crag setting your first trad anchor, and some dude tops out free soloing on the route next to you, stares at that trad anchor and goes, Hmm. You gonna trust your life to that? Then all of a sudden, you're self-conscious. Is my anchor good? Is it bad? I don't actually know. This is my first time out here. I just read a book. <laughs> How's this anchor working? Next thing you know, you get a 30-minute discussion on how to build an anchor and the sacred art of not killing yourself. And he passes out Snickers, because that wasn't a chalk bag. It's a mojo bag. And you still wouldn't be any further away from big climbing than this is. Oh.